Welcome to Health Law Talk, presented by Shahardi Sherman Williams. Health law broken down through expert discussion, real client issues, and real life experiences. Breaking barriers to understanding complex healthcare issues is our job. And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, whenever you're listening. Um, welcome to another edition of Health Law Talk. We are very excited to have you here listening to this podcast. Um, in the studio today, Conrad Meyer uh, and Rory Bellina, two very accomplished healthcare lawyers who are going to help you navigate some of the wonderful healthcare policy and healthcare regulation that's going on currently in today's world. And today, Rory, today, very interesting. Um, Reproductive rights post Dobbs, right? Yeah, yeah. Today's going to be a really good topic. Uh, I think it's very timely to do, and we've got a lot of uh, insight into this. Yes, and uh, in, in, you know, aside from the uh, the ruling itself, we're looking at this from a total healthcare perspective. So, what what is the sequela in, in terms of of of, of post Dobbs with the trigger laws in some states, and what are some of the issues that could pop up? that people, really providers, might not be aware of, and people who are going through their, their the, the reproductive issues, whether it's, um, uh, you know, an, an, an unwanted pregnancy, um, IVF, uh, maybe a, a failed, uh, a failure to thrive on, an, on a fetus, you know, what are, their, what are their options now relative to post-ops? Sure, and, and I think we could start with, I know we were talking about this beforehand, is what was the landscape pre-Dobbs and then post-Dobbs? Yeah, so so you know pre Dobbs, uh, there was the uh, the national you had you know Roe v Wade had the basically a national right to an abortion, um, and I know that various states had challenged that, uh, and 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 there was a lot of different uh, you know exceptions to that with respect to um, you know uh, rape, incest, um, even failed uh, failure to thrive on fetuses and embryos. Um, with IVF, you had uh, something called selective reduction, where if you had implanted more than one embryo into in, in, uh, into into a woman for uh, purposes of, of giving birth, and one of those embryos or both of them took, but then one, uh, you know, they both grew, and you had twins or even split, had triplets that could threaten the life of the mother. You could do what's called selective reduction, and that was still okay in some states. So. Uh, you know, a lot of things changed post-Dobbs because of the trigger laws. And, and, and you know what I'm talking about. Sure. And, and, and Dobbs, I think just for everyone listening, was kind of the case per se that I guess you could say overturned everything. And so... Well, it didn't overturn everything. It just punted it back to the states. Correct. I think that the, the, you hear, or at least I heard in the media, that this, this case overturned it. It, it, it. You're right. It wasn't an overturn. It was a, we're returning this to the states' rights. And a lot of states, Louisiana included, had these trigger laws per se that were going to go into effect immediately, kind of in anticipation that this was going to happen. And, and there was 13 states, just to be clear. So there were 13 states that had trigger laws that were ready to go into effect the moment that Dobbs or the moment that the Supreme Court had overturned Roe. Uh, and so now, you know, there's been an extensive analysis of these 13 states and their trigger laws. One goes back to 1931. So... Uh, I mean, we're not going to go into each of those states, sure. uh, not for this episode, um, but it, it does change the landscape for reproductive rights with respect to individuals who are going through these various issues 
that we thought we would broadly discuss. Um, and, and I guess one of the, 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 the first things, uh, you know, really issues that kind of like you, you don't think about, right? So, for example, contraception. I mean, you know, the plan B pill. Is that considered an abortion? Is that is that now because of a trigger law going to be banned where someone might have to go across the state line to another state that doesn't have this to be able to get a plan B pill, right? Right, right. And and like you mentioned, there's not it's not very clear what is considered uh, terminating a pregnancy or terminating a life. You know, every state kind of has a different definition or explanation of what is considered conception, what is considered life, what is considered a viable fetus. So it becomes very complicated, not only for the providers, for the physicians that are dealing with these questions, but just for the, the general public where they where they don't know. And, and I mean, we've seen in, in the news recently, I believe there's someone in Louisiana who had to travel to New York for this is... You know, if you if you're in the situation where you find out that you're pregnant, or if you decide that you have an incident and you want to take the Plan B pill, um, what do you do? It's almost like you have to, you know, you talk to your doctor, but your doctor doctor is going to want to talk to their lawyer. Mm-hmm. It becomes a whole process, and and you know, we hear about this, the the big headline stories of, you know, doctors are not performing abortions because. Even if, if it, even if the mother's life is at risk because they're concerned that it, it doesn't meet the criteria. So there's a lot of moving parts and it's evolving. And I think that providers and patients especially are having to um, figure this out on the, on the fly. Well, here, here's another thing. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me confuse you or really the provider even further. Cross-border battles. So in other words, let's just say, for example, Texas, which has a ban Okay, now that that Dobbs went in effect, they have a ban, but somebody wants to travel to across the state line to another state for an abortion that doesn't have a ban. And now Texas is saying that, well, if you go to another state for the purposes of an abortion, we're going to come after you. But there's nothing in the trigger law that says that, that they can do that. So, So can Texas... Or any other state, I'm just not picking on Texas, right? Any other state that has a trigger law that's now in effect that bans abortions and that person crosses a state line into another state that doesn't have a ban, can that home state then take action, legal action, against the provider and the patient? Yeah, and when I saw that, that was really interesting to me because most of the the rules – you know, across the states, uh, specifically in Louisiana, for telemedicine, for example, it's all about where the patient is located. Like right. That is, so if you've got a patient that's located in Louisiana, and if the telemedicine visit and the doctor's out of state, it's considered a visit in Louisiana. So when I saw that, a patient traveling out of state to Illinois uh, to have an abortion performed. Right. Does Texas have any action over a Texas resident who has a legal medical procedure in illinois i, I don't think so i don't know if i don't know I, what I, the I, well i mean, the courts, I mean my, my gut tells me from a jurisdictional perspective there's no personal jurisdiction if it's not written in the statute i don't know how texas can enforce a texas law right on an individual in another state that does an action in another state you correct I mean? a legal action so, correct. So, so think of the sequela from that i mean think about that if you go <laughs> it how, say you go to another state not for an abortion but for something else sure Right. So does that mean that if, you, you know, Texas has a, 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 a death 
penalty, they're a death penalty state, but then the individual goes to, I don't know, a non-death penalty state and kills someone, does that mean that Texas can bring a death penalty criminal action against the individual for killing someone out of state? Again, it, yeah, I don't, I don't see how they could do that because there was no action in the state. So, but it's really interesting that Texas has taken that position and I presume it's more for political reasons than anything. It's not just Texas though. Let me just say that. It's not just Texas. They have other cross-border battle states that are doing the same thing that are looking at legal action against people and providers. So, I mean, imagine a doctor, like you just said, in Illinois, in Illinois, who does the procedure. In Illinois. Right. Who's licensed by the Illinois board, not Texas. Right. How in the world could Texas have jurisdiction over that provider? I don't see it. I don't see it. Sorry. You can, you can posture on the podium in front of a TV all day long, but I just – that would open – do you know the can of worms that would open up? I mean, just think about it legally if you did that. And, or he, it, somehow if that was magically allowed, like you could wave a magic wand and say, I'm going to get you if you go to another state. That's crazy. Absolutely, yeah. I, I mean, I'm I just, sorry, <laughs> I don't, I don't see the the relation, but but um, it's there. I mean, they're yeah. talking about it, you know. <laughs> I mean, so so cross border battle. So you're gonna have to look at whatever state you're in. I mean, I'm going back to our purpose, right? Sure. The providers, look at what your state law or your state is saying, especially from your medical board. I mean, your 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 local medical board should be pushing out, you know at least guidance right. for you right. on on this because if they're not I mean I think if especially if you're a physician who, who practices this sure. in this area you're going to be in trouble sure. you, you won't know what to do you need some guidance absolutely yes, yes. so interestingly um, you know I, I saw this reference uh, the other day to Intala okay so and what happens now <laughs> If you go and you present to the emergency room, and we all know what Intala is, okay. But for our our listeners, um, you know, do you want to you want to give a quick? I mean, sure, some Imtala, yeah. so they understand what that is. Yeah, so Imtala was put in a place, and uh, the full acronym is Emergency Treatment uh, EM Emergency. I, I honestly I don't remember Emergency Medical Treatment Access something Labor something Acts, like something something something. something, like something. Yeah, we just, we just call Intala. Intala, yeah, like it's this long acronym, but. Basically, it was kind of an anti-patient dumping regulation that was put into place because you saw a lot of, um, and also required that um, if you were to show up to an emergency room hospital, right. that you had to be stabilized and or treated and or transferred out. And there's different criteria and steps to that, but it was kind of dubbed the the anti-patient dumping act. Right. Um, and so that that's the the general premise is that if you are um, let's say your arm was cut off or something like that, and you go into an emergency room and it's a hospital that has a valid emergency room and they take emergency patients, they can't deny you uh, services based on your ability to pay or inability to pay, right. and they have to stabilize, treat, and or transfer you out. They can't just dump you somewhere else because they know that you're not going to be able to pay for it. Well, they have to screen you. They Correct. have to do a screening. They're required to do a screening and, and determine whether or not you're in an emergency medical condition. Correct. So if you're in, you're in an emergency medical condition, again, same thing, render treatment regardless of the ability to pay to stabilize you and transfer you to a higher level of care, right? Correct. Um, here's the issue with Imtala. So think about this, because remember, it also involves pregnancy. If you're in active labor, okay, 
and you present to the emergency room. Now, remember, the, the emergency room is, is any uh, hospital that's literally advertising the emergency. They Correct. have the emergency sign out. Correct. They've got that. So so pe- so, so John P- John Doe, Jane Doe looks at it and say, hey, that's an emergency room. Then you're, you're bound by Imtala, right? Correct. So they present in active labor under Imtala. Then only, you know, during the screening, they have to determine labor, right, and determine if that's an emergency medical condition or not. So what if, and here's the Imtala thing, going back to reproductive rights, right. or, or, you know, the whole purpose of this. What happens if you're in a, in a state that has an abortion ban, but you present to an emergency, an emer- with, no, with no exception, like no life of mother, no life of child, no anything exception, a strict ban, mm-hmm. okay? But you present to the ER and you're screened uh, and you're pregnant and you're in an emergency medical c- situation and the doctor determines that that requires an abortion. What happens next? What preempts? Yeah, I mean, it, it again. This goes back to the state question, and I'm I'm just familiar with Louisiana because that's where we're here. Is that yeah. by statute there's certain criteria that physicians are allowed to provide abortions under, and it, it's different medical um, medical justifications and medical reasons. So I think that is what is going to come into play and kind of govern the decision. The physician is going to have to know almost have kind of a cheat sheet in his or her pocket saying, okay, here's what's going on. Is this covered under the statute for me to be able to perform this abortion or not? Well, the question is, really, does Imtala preempt state law or does the state trigger law apply? You follow me? In other words, what, what, what law trumps what? Does the Imtala law requiring emergency action to stabilize the patient so if the physician determines that the patient's in an emergency emergency medical condition and is pregnant, mm-hmm. and in order to save the life of the patient, that they must abort the baby, but they're in a trigger ban state, so the state law prevents that. So what law would trump? The federal Imtala law to save the patient? To stabilize. Correct. Or the state law trigger ban. I mean, do you see that? Yeah. And as a provider, you would have no, I mean, you, do you think you're, well, you don't have the time it? to no, figure this out or to call right. in-house counsel or, or yeah, you don't have the time to right. figure that out when you've got a, a mother who's potentially bleeding out in, in your ER. Right. So do you see the, so that's an Imtala conundrum. Sure. You know? And so that's why I think. And Louisiana statute, I don't yeah. believe it has a. It's got some emergency criteria no, in it. Does. But it does. It's life of mother, life of child. Yeah, it, I believe it's got that. those, yeah. but it's still it's still not as clear as it could be, or really should be. I think some of the states, some of the thirteen uh, states that have that trigger ban, you know, from post Dobbs, like are even more strict, an absolute ban. Right. So when you have the absolute ban. You know, I mean, what it, I mean, if you're the provider, I mean, I think they would just go ahead and do the do the abortion for the life of the mother. Right. I mean, I would think that's what they would right. do under Imtala and then wait to see what the court does. I mean, see if the uh, see if the court actually, you know, does the um, does the uh, what you call it. Wait and find out if there's any action by <laughs> you from the medical board or or <clears throat> someone sues you. Right. Because you did the abortion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that. that those are all possibilities. So, so you know, interestingly, one of the things that, that I found out uh, and that, that was interesting to me on reproductive rights, because it's not just about abortion, too, um, IVF. So 
in, in, in in vitro fertilization, which is very interesting, states have different laws regarding that. They're very, very you know, friendly IVF states. They're very unfriendly IVF states. For example, Louisiana does not, I, I find, is a very unfriendly IVF state, meaning, in other words, um, you know, it, it only helps the couple. So if you're if you're a couple that is unable to um, generate eggs, you know, or oocytes for for your own children, or or, or if you have uh, a medical condition when your sperm isn't 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 uh, you're unable to generate sperm adequately enough to to, to fertilize and have your own children, uh, if you wanted to get a, an egg donor or a sperm donor in Louisiana, they don't allow that. Really? Nope, they don't allow that. You can't do it. Uh, <clears throat> you know, you would you 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 would. Uh, it's a prohibition. And interestingly enough, if you if you did secure a surrogate to carry a child in Louisiana, you would have to go through the adoption process in order to have your own baby. So, which is, which is very interesting because, for example, Mississippi and Texas don't have that problem. I mean, very, Texas is very IVF friendly, very surrogate friendly. Mississippi seems to be the same way, but we don't have that. And so from a reproductive rights standpoint, you know, kind of pivoting here for a second, um, you know, it's really interesting. And why I I lump this in Mm -hmm. on the abortion side is because a lot of times families who or you know, parents or couples who want to have children sometimes implant more than one embryo. So, okay. for, so for example, you know, they want the greatest success or the greatest chance of success to have a child. Okay. Okay. And, and so in order to achieve that success, they will say, okay, instead of just planting one embryo, I'm going to have a greater chance of success if I plant two. Okay. Sometimes sure. even three. Now, IVF doctors now have, have seemed to kind of sway away from that. They don't want to do that. Sure. Um, but he, and, and the reason is is because of the problem I'm about, I'm about to bring up. And the problem is is that there is a chance if you implant one, right, which would be okay, nobody wants that, that that one embryo could divide and have and create two. So you can have actually two babies, sure. two kids, have sure. twins. If you put it in plant two, there is a chance that it could it could it could multiply into three or even four. Sure. And at that point when you have triplets uh, or, or or quadruplets, right. you know, it really, really comes into play that the health of the mother is in real you know, could be in jeopardy because the likelihood of, of triplets and quadruplets reaching term, reaching a term sure. birth is is it decreases because sure. there's just not enough room. So what? So they have to do. Yeah, you know, they have. To, there's an issue there. That's okay. what. I, that's what I want to ask you. And I want to go back to something you said earlier. Yeah. So, Louisiana with either sperm donation or egg donation. What's the status on that? That you you can't you cannot actively go out and 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 seek a donor in Louisiana for gametes. In other words, I can't if I if I am unable to, to, to generate sperm or my wife is unable to do egg generate eggs because of whatever medical reason sure. or age, um, we cannot go out and secure a donor as of now in Louisiana to to be able to donate their gametes to help us have children. So how do these what do these clinics do that are here? Like they refer you out of state. <clears throat> so all the fertility clinics in Louisiana. Yeah. essentially f- refer you out of state if you want to go that route yes interesting okay now if you know what they what is allowed in other words if 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 i gave and donated my sperm or your partner donates her own egg you can do ivf that way okay but i can't go out to tulane or loyola 
right, or some university like LSU, any any place, and advertise, hey, if they're healthy females who want to donate their eggs, I can pay X amount of money. That's not going to happen. Okay. And so all the fertility clinics, even in Louisiana, if you were to go to a fertility clinic and say, I want to have a child, I would like to procure sperm donation. I'm a female. I make my own eggs. I want the sperm donation. That's not, you're sent out of state for that? Yes. Okay. Yes, because they, they, because Louisiana has a prohibition on that. So you go out of state to have the the donation, the donation or the implantation made, and then you come back here for your treatment. Yes. So, so in other words, let's okay. say for example, let's say for example, you wanted to get a don a sperm donor because you're a single mom and you don't have a, a couple. A single per okay. A yep. single pup person, right? Or sure. or you're a male, you're a male, and and you want to have a child. You don't have a, you don't have a significant other, or you're a couple. And you're, right. you're unable to have children for whatever medical reason. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm following. You can't. You you would have to go to like a, like t- we went to you know like, like like Texas right Texas or Mississippi Mississippi right okay and 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 then and then there you know are clinics there that would allow um, sperm donors and egg donors and they have whole programs. I mean, sure. you're talking about people who vet you know vet people through various medical and social to determine if there would be a qualified sperm donor or a qualified egg donor. They have companies that do this. Okay. And then you would work through your fertility clinic and a, uh, a donor company to secure what you need. Okay. So And you have to physically travel out of state yes, for yes. the implantation to happen. Correct. And and for the birth. I mean, the real, the implantation, yes, because it's prohibited here in Louisiana, right? All right. But uh, so, uh, and, and for the birth. Remember now, because if you, uh, if you, you know, let's just say Jane Doe, uh, say you're a man, a couple, or a woman, um, you know, who couldn't carry uh, a child for okay. whatever reason, right? All right? Men, obvious, you know, couples for their age or sure. whatever medical reason, or a woman who might, for the age or other medical reason, cannot carry sure. a gestational child to, you know, gestational carrier uh, to birth. So you'd have to hire a surrogate. Okay. And say uh, you did that. If you did that in Louisiana, Okay, and you went and you did your 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 IVF, you know, donor in Texas or whatever, and they did a, what's called a frozen embryo transfer or a live transfer, meaning in other words, once they get the gametes from the donors or the couple or whoever, right, and they fertilize them in the right. petri dish, right, right, and they form embryos, they grow them out for so many days, okay, then that surrogate that you, you know, have located, usually have companies that do this, but okay. Would go to Texas or whatever, and they would get implanted with okay. the embryo. All right, I'm following. Okay, so then that person, say that person is not from Texas. Say that person lives in Louisiana. In Louisiana, yeah, I like okay. that example. Okay, it's right across the border. So the problem is, is if that individual give birth in Louisiana, there is nothing in Louisiana law that would allow the Intended parents, the 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 parents who the the husband or whoever it may be that husband, essentially wife or couple that, that essentially paid for all paid this, for right? all this right. Okay, they, there's nothing in Louisiana law, and there's a prohibition in Louisiana that 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 they cannot they those parents or those individuals would not be on the birth certificate if that woman gave birth to the child in Louisiana. Okay, so they're not on the birth certificate. What if they're? I assume there's contracts involved in this right well, yeah numerous tons of numerous, legal contracts absolutely is that the uh, i want to go back to the example of the surrogate giving birth in louisiana and you have a contract for this with the couple who's essentially paying for all this yes when that mother gives when the surrogate i want to make sure i use the right terms when the surrogate gives birth in louisiana is our is the surrogate contractually obligated to 
uh, what's the word, give up for adoption yes. the baby. Yes. So, so the contract is valid and binding in Louisiana. That's remained to be seen. Okay. Okay. Because it, it, I don't think it's ever been challenged. Okay. Um, but I know that I, there's no hospital in Louisiana that would ever put the original intended parents' names on the birth certificate. So you, their names aren't on the birth certificate. So you have to go through adoption. So you would have to go through the from full, the surrogate. And my concern would be that your name's not on the birth certificate. If you walk through this whole process, you're the couple who yes. can't carry. You go through one of these companies. You hire a surrogate. Uh, I know this is very expensive. You pay for the implantation in Mississippi or Texas. And then the surrogate comes back here, gives birth yep. in Louisiana. And decides not to want to get the well, baby up. Yeah. What happens there? And then she says, I'm not I'm not putting up this baby that you essentially paid for for adoption. That's what the happens there. That's the problem. And that's that's a risk, I would think. Um, so, so okay, so what's the alternative? You give birth in Mississippi, and what happens there? You find a surrogate in a, in a surrogate-friendly state. So, for example, Mississippi right. is a surrogate-friendly state. So okay. if you execute a contract in Mississippi, because Mississippi does allow this, ama- okay. amazingly. I amazingly, mean, like, Mississippi, right, Mississippi right. right? You would think, Mississippi, really? Yeah, they're almost more conservative than oh, Louisiana. Man, I mean, no, it, 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 un- unbelievably so, the state of Mississippi allows this to happen. So, so upon birth in Mississippi, same example, by the surrogate, what well, happens? we got to walk back a little bit because okay. Mississippi has a couple of other steps. Okay. So, in other words, you sign the contract with the surrogate, Okay. whether it's a couple or a single parent, right? You must get a Mississippi judge to issue an order blessing that, that contract. Sorry, the contract. So, oh, wow. Okay. So, once the Mississippi judge issues the order that it's a valid contract. Okay. That order, along with the contract, is given to the hospital where the birth will take place. Okay. That order instructs the hospital to put the intended parents on the birth certificate for vital records. So, so then you walk. Literally, you, it's, it's, if, if you're the intended parent or parents, right. you walk out the hospital with your child with the birth certificate that's going to be in your name. So you're you're essentially the judge's ordering. Yes. The hospital to essentially skip the process of adoption. That, that, yes. That's cut out. There's no adoptive process. Right. It's Be- your child. Because the court has blessed this, yes. Interesting. Isn't that's, that interesting? And, and it doesn't happen in Louisiana. That's really interesting. So I know we kind of taken a pivot on this. No, no. Uh, this is, from I mean, reproductive it's, rights. It's but, interesting. So so what is, in your experience, unless this is very new to me, what is, is it is it strictly religious or political in nature? Why Louisiana is a little bit... I think it's uh, more I think conservative. It's, I think it's both. I mean, I think our, our brothers and sisters right up in the north in the north Louisiana are very sure are very religious. And I'm sure. not, I mean, of course, I'm I'm very religious. I'm very right. Catholic. So, so am I. I understand. Yep. So um, there, I think it's a lot to do with that. And also, I, I don't know if any of our representatives have really delved into this area of the law. So I don't know if they're really cognizant of kind what's, of, in other words, of the technology of how things have advanced. Sure. Um, you know, so I, I could see some ignorance or just lack of understanding or lack of awareness. Yeah, and if and if a if a constituent's not bringing this up to you, if it's not an issue, then you know why are you going to write a bill to to change this to get you're not slaughtered in the house or the senate? You're not from the like you said the more conservative parishes. You know, isn't that interesting? So that's really interesting, and I I was really and, and, unaware of the relationship between fertility clinics having to refer out to so so if you're a fertility clinic here in louisiana louisiana and so a female walks in and says i want a sperm donor i don't want to get 
for whatever reason, I want to have a child on my own. Yeah, you're gonna have to go out of state. They are gonna they're gonna set you up as a client and everything. Yeah, they're gonna, they're gonna run tests on you to make sure that you are capable. Like in other words, you are what you say, and you want to have sure. a child, and, and maybe you know you know check your oocytes to make sure. sure that you can produce an oocyte for fertilization, and then refer you out to a, a state. Probably Texas because it's right next door. Right, it's very very friendly for the for implant. That. No, for the donor to receive to, for the donation and or the su- and subsequent implant in Texas. Okay, because remember now, let's just say if it's the individual, say that person can gestationally carry. That's that's my example. Yes. So in other words, so it's based on your example, that person would go to Texas, get the donor sperm, have the IVF done in Texas. Okay. Do the implantation in Texas, but then come back to hit her house and carry the baby to term. And when she bears the baby, it'll have her name on it. So everything else after the implantation would, would be fine. Can occur in Louisiana. It's when you have a surrogate that that's the that's, surrogate is different. It's different. Interesting, and it's all about for surrogacy where the birth takes place. It's not where yes. they carry the child. I mean, it's, it's all about physically. They have to. Even if your surrogate's living in Louisiana, when she becomes due, she needs to go across the border. Yeah. I mean, I've never, look, I've never challenged that. I've never tested that. Sure. You know, but I know, in, like, I know that the, the, the Mississippi court order, for example, in that example, in that right. Mississippi example, that is, that is directing the hospital to follow the, mm-hmm. the, the gestational carrier contract. Got it. And you got, so you got multiple in terms of reproductive issues. And, and now we're focusing on IVF um, is uh, you've got the, the fertility clinics, you've got, um, who a lot of times also run a separate side hustle, not a hustle, but a side business of, sure. of, of, of donors. Sure. So the, the fertility clinics in a, in a very IVF friendly state are going to be doing donor programs. So the, yeah. they're going to be out like screening donors, both, you know, sperm and egg and, 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 and incorporating that it's a, this is a huge business. I'm sure I mean, yeah. it is a massive, massive business. Is any of this? You're, you're talking tens and thousands of dollars of money. I was going to say that's what my next question was: Is any of this covered by insurance? Oh, I mean, there, there are very, very, very few policies that would ever cover uh, IVF. Okay, and and, there, and and there's been ways to attack it. I mean, there's been ways. I mean, because they do say that infertility can be considered a diagnosis, right? Right. Right. So, so. I know there's been challenges to it. I know there's been discussions about it, but I mean, I, I don't know of m- many, if any, sure, sures that would ever carry be- just because of the sheer cost. Now, let's say you're implanted. I assume your insurance covers your labor and delivery and maternity, right? That's different. So, I mean, in other, so in other words, I mean, I think even a surrogate, mm-hmm. you would have insurance cover. You know, I, I've seen some insurance companies, they won't cover the IVF. Right. But they will cover the surrogate delivery cost. Okay. And whose policy? The actual surrogate? No. Um, well, that's a good question. Meaning, meaning, here's my thought. If you've got a surrogate who you, you, yeah, makes the, the, their job out of this per se, let's say, because right. I know a lot of surrogates do this more than once, right? Yes, yes. So let's say that this person... This is not a good expression, but like this is their job. They're they're a surrogate, and they. Just, I wouldn't call it a job. I would call it a calling. A calling. Okay, the surrogate has this calling to continue to carry yes children for couples. Yes, is that surrogate's Blue Cross policy going to cover all these um, 
you know, weekly, monthly visits to labor. Because I feel like that that's not it's not overused, but I no, mean, their, I could, their I, policy would cover that. You, as the intended parent under the gestational carrier agreement, would cover the deductibles of whatever policy that person had. Okay. You know, and I think I think there is a. Um, I'm just surprised the insurance companies are willing to do that because most people have you know two to three kids on average. Well, they can't stop it. I mean, what what mean in other yeah. words, if, if you're under the policy and you're you're a covered individual, a covered beneficiary, right, and you're pregnant, regardless of whose child it is. That's true. That's true. I just I I could see the insurance company saying, wait a second, like you're. You're, you're having it's, too many kids. You're it, making money on this now. Like we're how not. Would, how would that look? Right. You're right. And insurance companies aren't hurting. So yeah, that's fair. I just I just didn't know what. I didn't know I if that think, was an exclusion or something. No, where no, no, no. I mean, I think you have the you, you got to cover the deductible, right? Right. And, and, right. You know, but I still think that that it's it's it would be covered under the policy. It would be covered as a covered a covered expense. Sure. Um, you know, it just. They can't, I don't think they can, they can't, they can't stop that. So interesting. Interesting. I mean, I got to tell you, it, it, it's, it's, it's not only interesting, it's, it's, it's one area of the law that literally has numerous legal issues and ramifications mm -hmm. that most people aren't even aware. And I think that this area, the whole reproductive rights, if, if you look at any area of medicine, I, I'd venture to say that the re, the whole reproductive field is probably the biggest medical area that is influenced by religion and politics over anything else. I mean, you have the religious right that would say that, you know, the Vatican is against IVF. Correct. You would have some Catholics that would say, and, and, and maybe not some, but a, a, a lot of Catholics would say, well, divine intervention. If, if the Lord gave someone the ability to build and create this sure. and it's divine intervention and therefore it would be acceptable. And it's not just, I don't think it's just Catholics. I think it's, you've got, you've got religions all across the state, wherever you may be that believe that, you know, none of this should happen. So they're not going to write a bill. They're not going to sponsor a bill and they're going to kill any bill that comes across. So, so the law is never going to catch up with it as opposed to other states that are more progressive where they they see the medical need for this, how, you know, people are progressing and, and, and why they really do need it. Well, really, the, I think one of the, 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 the issues that has not been addressed yet, and, and, and I'll be candid with you, I don't know how often it happens, sure. but it's still an issue and it's the selective reduction. You can explain that. So if you get a situation where you've got more than one embryo, implanted and both are growing or one has divided into two or if you put two two is divided into three or whatever okay and as the babies continue to develop what happens in, in a couple situations what happens if one of those fetuses now as it grows fails to thrive and you have a situation where the fetus is causing harm to the other fetuses and you have to selectively reduce or the fetuses are getting so big that there's no choice. You have no choice but for the safety and health of the mother, and, and you, sure. have to, you have to pick one. You know, I mean, what that's do you? That's technically do you an do? abortion, right? That's correct. So, so what do you do? And what ha here's uh, this is uh, you don't have to answer this because I don't think there is an answer to this. If you're in, like you said, Mississippi, you've got this contract, right? And the the embryos split, mm -hmm. and now you've got more than one. And it could potentially harm. I I don't. I'm assuming these contracts probably contemplate for this. But they do. if if the mother or the surrogate is at risk, you know, or let's say the parents want 
all they they want the triplets, but the surrogate doesn't want to carry the triplets. I mean, what happens there? Is the, that in the contract? It is, and, and it's con- I mean, amazingly, it's contemplated in these agreements, okay. these gestational agreements, okay. where the surrogate makes the call. The surrogate makes the call okay. along with her husband, or okay. or if she's not married, the surrogate herself is the sole person that can make that call with advice or input from the intended parents. Okay. Uh, but ultimately, it, it lies with the, the surrogate. surrogate. Correct. Now, and, and then, again, if, if it's too many and the surrogate, but then the surrogate, now the surrogate in Mississippi is traveling to Illinois for an abortion. It's just... Uh, but the, do, do you see the conundrum yeah, now? So, yeah. So if the, if the state law, in effect... It does not allow an exception for life of mother, right? Right. Or if there's a failure to thrive or there's an issue in terms of a disability or, sure. or whatever with the fetus in utero. Sure. If the state law doesn't have an exception for that, well, then what do you do? Sure. Or I mean, w- what if it's really not life of mother? What if the surrogate just doesn't want to carry ooh. three? But I mean, I, I the, the issues are endless because you've got... Uh, possibly a Louisiana couple with a Mississippi surrogate who's having to travel to Illinois for an abortion. It's just, it's, it, it, it's crazy. three states, three different sets of laws. It's, it's a lot. And how can you, and, and just think about the couple, right. Who has probably spent, you know, close to six figures to have this child that medically they're not able to have. Sure. And a surrogate who wants to help. Sure. Is now faced with a terrible decision right. to make. Um, you know, and then they're in a state that doesn't even allow that type of, uh, you know, the bans that sort of scenario from ever, from ever occurring. So, um, anyway, look, and they've got that Mississippi contract that was just blessed by a judge, but in Illinois, it's not going to be valid. I mean, it's no, so it's, it's look, it's, it's the, the whole purpose of the show today was to talk about. The issues. Sure. And these are good issue spots. Now, we've sort yeah. of pivoted to IVF at the end. No, but, but I mean, it's all under reproductive it's all rights. It's under reproductive and rights. So when you look at the post-ops, when you're looking at IVF, when you're looking at uh, MTALA, when you're looking at border battles, when you're sure. looking at, I mean, we are in for a legal conundrum sure. on all of the issues that are going to have to be, you know, I think they're going to have to be either worked out in the courts Sure. You know, or the the individual state legislature is going to have to do something to address all of these issues. And I think that, like uh, like I mentioned earlier, this is a very political and out of any field of medicine, how we said this is a very political and religious. I think that um, in the practice of medicine, you know, most physicians uh, or the, the, the kind of the rules and regulations are similar. The various boards of uh, medical licensure, or board of medical examiners, whatever the state calls it, that they pretty much follow the same set of rules. But this is that one field of medicine where every state is different, you know. And I think that that's really um, important, difficult for the providers, difficult for the patients, because you know most states follow kind of the same rules on telemedicine. They follow the same the same rules on um, elective procedures. You know, this is state by state, and it's really really interesting. And, and the sad thing is, is that when you look at the scenarios, just the brief ones that we talked about today, most people really don't understand. And even providers are, I think, providers who are in the trenches, most of your OBGYNs, you know, who are doing this, fertility physicians, you know, um, or turtle fetal, you know, specialists sure. who are involved with this type of work, um, you know, are, 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 are going to be confused. 
they're they're not going to know. Uh, all they want to do is practice medicine. Right. You know that. Right. So, and then you got people who ultimately are also confused because I could tell you this: it, it's a very uh, stressful, emotional, especially sure. on the IVF side journey. Sure. And, and I'm, I'm sure it is for the, you know, I'm sure it, it's extremely stressful for patients on on post ops on on the abortion issue. Sure. So, so anyway, it, it's 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 definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, these fertility it, clinics must have to give you some sort of. Uh, do they refer people out for legal advice? Because they do. This is, they do. I mean, I know they. I know they do. I mean, I, I've talked to a couple of fertility lawyers um, in Texas and uh, and even in Mississippi, who uh, they don't really go as fertility lawyers. They call themselves family. They just really like family lawyers, but okay. they, but they know about the fertility issues. So. Um, you know who who have helped formulate these contracts. Sure, sure. So uh, I, I think you know it's it's another step in the process of how to navigate some of these very complex legal issues that a lot of times I think the news media or others just either don't cover or or legislators just simply just fail to address right. because they just don't understand the complexities of of how how the ripple effect right of yeah. what happens when you're dealing with some of these issues. Yeah, man, very interesting topic today. Well, great. Well, look, thank you very much. Uh, any final thoughts, Rory, before we close out? No, no, I think this was a this was a really good topic. And um, like I said, it, it's the one field of medicine that I feel is different state by state. It's got so many religious mm -hmm. and political factors in it that, that really kind of overlay on the actual right. medical aspect of it. Um, it it's just, it, it's, it's, it's evolving, especially post-ops. Well, look, what, I want to just say this, you know, and I know we've talked about this before we close out. Um, listeners, if you have any comments, requests, anything like that, please send us an email directly. We don't have that, that bulletin board or a blog that you can just sort of post comments on. So the only way we get feedback and the only way we get comments is if you send us an email. So, uh, Rory, what, do you, can you tell the listeners what the email is? I, I don't know if I forgot the email. Yeah, What's it's email? Uh, podcast with a plural, pod, podcast with a S. At shahari.com, and it's also going to be listed in the description for the podcast show as well. Fantastic. So, uh, everyone, please, we really appreciate, you know, your thumbs up, that five-star rating, and we really appreciate you sending us your comments and requests. Uh, this is another episode of Health Law Talk. Roy Bellina, Conrad Meyer signing off. Until the next one, enjoy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Health Law Talk, presented by Shahardi Sherman-Williams. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel, Make sure to give us that five-star rating and share with your friends. Shahardi Sherman-Williams is providing this podcast as a public service. This podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute legal advice, nor does this podcast establish an attorney-client relationship. Reference to any specific product or entity does not count as an endorsement or recommendation by Shahardi Sherman-Williams. The views expressed by guests on the show are their own, and their appearance does not imply an endorsement of them or their entity that they represent. Remember, please consult an attorney for your specific legal issues.